So I think originally when we conceived of this, we were all sitting together behind the long table, just like the other panels. But I did notice this little two-up over here. So, Matt, how do you feel about staying at the podium? And then we can sit over here like we're at a little cafe. What do you think of that? That sounds kind of fun. We're with the band. We're with the band. What we actually wanted to do was sort of turn the idea of this being a panel upside down and on its head. So we're actually going to start with you guys' questions first. We brainstormed, we wrote down every single question we thought you guys could possibly have, and we prepared for all of those. But you never know when you come into something like this, who's in the audience and what they actually want. And given that this is potentially a very technical kind of a thing, and given that you have a bunch of people, as Matt said, from ghetto to Gucci, 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 Gucci. with me sort of in the middle there, I'm not sure what that that means. Um, We have a really broad array of information. So we have prepared a lot of information, but you guys are the people who are going to have to go out and do this. So if you've already tried maybe, or you've started something and it's not going well or whatever, we wanted to hear your questions first. So Claudia, I'm going to have you get yourself situated. Matt, get to where you're comfortable. And I'm going to just walk around, and if you have a question, put your hand up. We're going to take all the questions, and then we're all just going to remember them, because some of us are improv people. We're just going to remember them, maybe check them off on the sheet, because I have a little sheet here, and uh, we'll make sure we answer them by the end. I was hoping for a whiteboard, but whatever, this will work too. Does that sound good? Yeah, would you also introduce yourself in terms of your bio? No, I'm not going to tell you who I am. That would be too easy. Um, so, my name is Yvette Keller. This, uh, some of you guys met me at the orientation. I have been an audiobook narrator for a number of years. I mostly narrate high fantasy and cozy mystery novels. But uh, where I really make money is doing corporate, technical, industrials, which is basically training videos for corporations and other organizations who need the voice, like that gorgeous voice at the beginning of Lois's um, podcast introduction. So I've been doing that for a number of years and have just written, well, have just published my first publication thingy. Um, it is a map of London for those who are fans of Douglas Adams, and it's called Douglas Adams is London. So I've been doing a ton of podcasts and a ton of recorded information about that. Uh, most recently, that's what I've been working on. Now, while I walk around, Claudia, who are you? Hey, who is that? Oh, this thing on. Hey, should be. Is it colors here? Uh, blue. She's blue. Hi, All right. Blue. I got it. it, it Not my mood. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Perfect. Perfect. Hi, I'm Claudia Dunn, and I'm here in the capacity of an audiobook narrator. Um, my background includes uh, degrees in theater and dance from the University of Maryland way back in the day. Um, I became a uh, TV and film actor when I came out to Los Angeles and got into the unions and voiceover was just kind of a natural outgrowth of acting because it's all acting, it's all performance, right? We bring that to the work. Um, I've been doing voiceover since the mid-90s in all its configurations on cassette tapes and et cetera, et cetera, the various um, delivery methods. 
I do a lot of um, audio description. You may have heard me on the PBS Masterpiece shows, like All Creatures Great and Small, and all the whodunits, Endeavor, and Grandchester, and some of those beautiful shows. Um, I also do uh, video games. So I, I really enjoy doing a lot of fantasy and uh, uh, sci-fi character, big characters from the musical theater days. So um, you might be familiar with the old cult classic movie, Killer Clowns from Outer Space. <laughs> well, I just did the video game. Very excited about that. <laughs> so stay tuned. This fall it'll be released. And I'm the bad cop. So I get to protect the human race. Just another day in the booth. <laughs> so I, I do an, an array of things. And in more recent years, I've expanded to audiobooks. Um, and it, the, it's just a, an exploding industry. I think we just had our um, uh, association of uh, publishers uh, meeting and our market meeting. And I think the, in the last year, the industry grew 26, 29%, something of the, of the sort. And it's going in that direction. So younger people are coming in, as you said, Matt. And, um, and it's just a really exciting time. And audiobooks are a great way to um, magnify your sales, depending on release dates, and I'm sure you, you have your own experiences with that, but uh, I'm just here to help answer any questions with performance, um, how you would prepare, what would help you decide whether to or not to narrate your own book. That's a, that's a process in itself. And, and then if you do, if you do want to brave that, what kind, what options you have as far as production and um, performance elements. So that's a little bit about me. And that's why she's Gucci. Yeah, she's the real deal. So some of you guys uh, found in the center of your tables an actual worksheet um, that you can take and work through. If there isn't one or two, then I can make more at any time. You can find me and I'll get some more copies. It's literally sort of, if you are an author of a book and you are considering making an audiobook, it's got a lot of little check boxes for you to think about. It's got some fill in the blanks. I was an educator for many years, so everybody gets a handout. Um, who's got questions? Here we come. Hey, thank you so much um, for everything you're bringing today. Um, I have actually heard that there are features that um, help books become audiobooks, like making sure that there's dialogue tags, like things that are maybe more clear from context in printed words. Um, I'm just curious to hear you talk about some of those features, like what helps um, a book work as an audiobook. Yeah. Cool. Next question. I have one. Yeah. So I listen to a lot of podcasts and I get them for free and I think to myself how do all these generous people giving me all this beautiful content monetize how I mean do they have like a day job like what and why would I do it because where's where's the beef where's the money yeah that's a good one and since it's a podcast question I can say the most recent podcast that I worked on started free for a certain like the first season and then once you, as a podcast, have a certain number of downloads, have a certain amount of listeners, have a certain amount of traffic, you monetize that just the same way that a newspaper would have had, here's how many subscribers we have, and it's all advertising. Okay. So that's why many podcasts have 
shout outs in the middle or thank yous for this, that, and the other thing is because they are all sponsored. They are selling advertising and that is how they are making money. Um, Matt, do you have other experience with that? Do you want to talk about some yeah, other ways? Yeah, I just ways? want to mention, I've been catching up on my audiobooks because my 19th book just came out. 20 is not too far behind. And I was looking at my numbers and, and now my numbers, my sales are basically half audio and, and half print. Um, there was a period where it was like half ebook and half print, but it's sliding more and more over to the audio. So I, I don't want any sponsors. They're, they're getting listening to my crap as it is, and I'm selling my stuff as it is. So I don't want to. I'm not looking to monetize in that way. But that's an individual choice. Uh, yeah. So you have a question? Well, I mean, I'm just kind of looking at gear and techno. So I'm going to shoot you. I mean, maybe it's too much from here. I'd like to know what each of these things does. You know, you've got you know, a mic, a mixer, headphones, studio. I mean, there, I want the specifics. And if you guys can't do that here, can you tell me where to go? To I, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you very briefly. Yeah. Um, I've been, after beating my brains out, what little is left of them, I'm using the Pro Tools. The Pro Tools records the files, and it, and the, all the gear I just showed you there plugs right into my computer in the USB port. That's all that in that one machine. Yeah, the M-Audio. And the software is Pro Tools. They, they, they throw that in with it. It's a free version. It's glitchy, but it works. So it does that. It saves the file. And then it does what they call bounce or rendering. And it sends it out as an MP3 file. And I just want to mention that ACX Audible is very, very fussy. It has to fall within specific specifications about the average size of the waveforms and the peaks of the waveforms, and if it doesn't, they'll reject you, so you gotta get it right. But that that goes from a very good microphone into the USB port in, and then output eventually as an MP3 file that is compatible to upload, and then you're on your way. And does Audible tell you if it's adequate or not? Oh yeah, they got, they got pages of stuff. And it's, the first time you upload it, they run it through a quality check. And they may shoot you down there. Usually it's for the, the average called RMS or the peak of the waves. Then you can get through all that, and then you submit it, and then you wait three more days, and they'll tell you, well, now this is screwed up. And then you got to go back and fix all that. So it can really be okay. time banded. And does that machine that you showed us, does that edit too? That's what the Pro Tools does. Yeah, Cla- Claudius. And Pro Tools is a DAW, a DAW your software recording software, uh, platform. And there are others that, for me, the, the full-on Pro Tools is a, is a little much because it was developed for music production. So if you're a composer and you, you want all those tracks, etc., and capabilities, that's great. For voiceover, a single-track purpose, there are some very simple, simplistic almost, um, user-friendly uh, DAWs. Mine, my preferred is called Twisted Wave. Yes, Twisted Wave, and I believe it is, at this point, maybe $80 all in, you own it. Pro Tools has a subscription program, so you'll need to pay every month and have an iLock, etc. So there are a lot more uh, bells and whistles to Pro Tools that I don't find necessary for voice alone. Um, and it's very user-friendly, very strong customer service, really receptive customer service. So that's another Twisted Wave. Yes. We haven't talked about the handouts oh, yet. Go ahead, Leslie. Go ahead and ask your question. Um, yeah, I was actually interested for, and it may be more for for Matt um, about if there is 
difference. Like, if you actually have a choice between a professional narrator or narrating yourself, how do you evaluate which is going to be better for the story? So two, two things. Um, as I mentioned, if you hire the narrator, you, you, you'll get on to ACX Audible and you'll say, my book is up for, for grabs. And then they'll approach you and say, I'm interested. And then they have to send you first two minutes, then the 15 minutes, and you're auditioning them sort of as you go. Over time, I discovered that nobody can narrate my books like me. I know when to emphasize it. I know how to pronounce weird words like ayahuasca. Uh, you know, I had this one there when he was out Husca, and I'm like, dude. And I had to go back with him like three times to get him to fix it. But again, you got to be able to put up with all the technical madness to get the bigger royalty. And sometimes it's challenging. So... Um, and Claudia and I will talk about that quite a yeah. lot. So, Matt, I have a question. I mean, when you put up the M Audio product, yes, sir. Is there a specific model number for that? Or do they make twenty different? I mean, there's different ones, but but that one. Uh, I, um, In other words, I, later, how do I find? That yeah, we're going to give you a handout that has links to all of the resources. Can I show you Amazon. Yeah, we've got all these resources for you guys on two different documents, and we will actually give you links so that you can just look at all of this information. Yeah. Sorry, I thought thought that was while I was out of the room. Yeah, go ahead. Do you on the resources have places we can go to find um, audiobook readers? Because, I mean, will you tell us how to find one? That's a total yes. Who else? More questions? Yeah, all the way over in the corner? Of course. Um, I was just thinking about, um, I listened to the Fight Club. It was done by an actor. And I guess it would depend on how the person reads my book as to what you want. But I've heard that a lot of people are now hiring actors to read their stories for them. That's the Gucci piece, and Claudia will tell you how to get Sigourney Weaver to actually record your audiobook. Holly's got another question. I sure do. Thank you. Um, so I'm also wondering if you could talk a little bit about some of your experiences with different um, like platforms that host um, audiobooks. So I know we've heard about ACX Audible, but what are some other things that are out there, and what's your experience with it? Check, totally on the list. Who else has got one? Okay, there's a lull in hands. All right, Claudia, now we can actually sit down and get down to business. Oh, one more? Sorry, Connor. I'll yell it out. Um, I know you talked about it a little bit, Matt, but what are some of the pitfalls and major ones in finding an appropriate narrator for your particular book genre? Perfect. Yeah, when you when you do the uh, audition part, that's when you can find them out. I, I had a one. I have a story that's uh, the main character is a woman, so I had a woman narrator, but she was she would read for the blind and all that, and she just said everything in a monotone, and she just read the whole thing like that, and the book does not sell very well because she didn't put any dramatic stuff in it, as opposed to Madame Gucci over here. Okay, amazing. Thank you guys so much. I, I always want to make sure whenever I do anything that I'm actually giving you, the people in the audience exactly what they need. So nothing that you guys have asked is anything 
What were we calling them? Blindsiding from the earlier interview. Nothing is blindsiding us. We're good, and we can just go down the list of what we know you guys are really here to um, to find out about. So the perspective that I come to this from is I had indie author friends who were like, oh my gosh, I really want to have an audio book, but how do I even do that? And the first thing you have to think about is there's, like Matt said, one main question. Are you going to try to do it yourself because you know your book best? Or are you going to hire it out? This is the, the first, the main question. And like any project, you're going to have constraints. So when you look at that handout, you'll see, what is my dream? What audiobook would I love to have out in the world? And then what are my constraints? How much money do I have to put into this? Or how much time? Because the three pillars of any project are cost, quality, and time. And quality is at some level, not an option. Because as Matt said, ACX or um, any of the places where the audiobooks get posted and actually available for purchase, they're checking your quality. You have to meet the minimum level of quality no matter what. So you only have time and money as your constraints when you think about this as a project. If you have a ton of money, you can get Sigourney Weaver. How would they do that? Call her agent. <laughs> you, or you get a Sigourney Weaver sound-alike. <laughs> That's usually what happens. Um, she has a reference. Um, I would say uh, I wanted to address the question about what makes a book, what elements make a book more likely to become an audiobook, or did you mean more likely to become a successful audiobook? Uh, just to kind of like how to translate the mediums, what sets it up to do well in an audio. Right. Yeah, I took that as more of a writing question, Claudia. So like, for example, um, dialogue tags, mm-hmm. right? Dialogue tags are definitely the bane at some level of a narrator's mm-hmm. existence because you bounce back and forth between a character voice and that neutral narrator voice. Um, and so in our writing classes, everybody's like, Use, um, you use movement, use all these other techniques in order to not have to be like he said, she said, because that is more obvious in the audiobook format, right? Um, also things on the page. I was just doing a, um, nonfiction book and she had this beautiful layout, which clearly showed the transitions and the sections from one topic to another, but it was blank space. So that's, hard to do as a narrator, right? Other than just leaving a lot of kinds of blank space. So you're right that there are some things that you have to look at. And what I heard your question as was like technology. Is that what you were, like the tools that would help identify whether or not it would be good or not for that? So are you talking like Hemingway and yeah, Holly? No, maybe. I'm wondering what you've heard. What have you heard? No, I'm just, I'm not sure (laughs) with technology, but I was thinking of it as a writing question, as you said. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, what do you need to think about as you're writing in order to not make it super strenuous, either on a reader or, like, needing to adapt or whatever? So The easiest answer to that is um, read it out loud yourself. 
and or get one of those cool automatic online um, uh, readers to just read so that you can just listen to your book. If you can hear it, if you've heard it multiple times, you will hear where those mistakes are. You will hear what's missing, for sure. And just speaking from the performance aspect, reading your book out loud will teach you a lot, right? I I imagine many of you do that, if not everyone. But a lot of authors don't. They don't read their books out loud if in preparation for them becoming audiobooks. And you will you'll learn. Your, your ear will hear things when they feel stilted or or as if they're being truncated or not natural, not naturalistic. Um, so I would just say, like in that, in that narrative between the dialogue from the reader's perspective, the narrator's, that point of view is so important to support your story, to keep your, that through line. And that's, if that point of view is very clear and strong, that assists the narrator in telling your story as, as powerfully as possible. Um, well, genres or, or oh, audio. specific genres. No, but how do you <coughs> make it? What, what will make a good audience? Well, certainly performance level. I'm going to say, and to Matt's point, um, if you're writing, if you're reading your own book, and many times your perspective is going to be the truest, the most authentic, because they're coming. You're the creator, but you can you can have a hybrid where you're not doing all the tech. You're, you're the narr- you narrate your work, but you're, you have a director who can help soften the edges and, and help your, enhance your performance. If you haven't had an extensive acting background, but you want to do your own work, then this, this is the way you can kind of walk the line, where you're not handing your baby over to someone else when you know that you have, you can bring it dimensions that maybe a narrator you don't feel could. Um, but you're also, you're also giving you the best possible dramatic performance because people, that's what brings people in is drama, right? Yeah. I want to add a couple of things to address what you guys are saying really quick. Um, I have a couple of nonfiction books that are very graphics intensive. I'm, they're not, nonfiction. They're not going to be audio books. There's way too much circles and lines and arrows and diagrams. The other thing I want to reiterate uh, what Claudia said is that performance is really the thing. People want to really be engaged when they're listening. They they want to get caught up in it a lot, whether it's fiction or nonfiction. They want to get really get you know lose themselves in it. And um, the other piece is uh, if the book is generally doing well in print, it will generally do well as an audio book. I have a couple of them that that I was wildly surprised in the best way how well they did as audio books. Uh, with, a, with a good narrator. So I wanted to throw that in there. Um, a lot of... A lot of... Uh, a lot of nonfiction, especially memoir, people want to hear the author's voice. And so if that's something that you're considering or if that's the kind of writing that you do, it is pretty important to think about which pieces are doable for you. Because I think it does sell much better that that type of book if it's the the author themselves doing the reading. Yeah, Marcy, you had a follow on. Well, uh, you were just saying you could 
but you can hire out the tech director portion. But if you're not in the same room, does that work? You send it out, it's like sending your writing to an editor, is that what it's like? Yeah, Claudia, talk to us more about hiring professionals and directors and... Sure, sure. There are um, myriad ways you can do it, but the basic buckets are you can hire a production house, for example, who is basically A to Z. Um, they will they start promoting your book on day one. They will do the casting if you are if you're casting yourself. They will hire the director. You'll record either in their in their booth or if you have a home booth that's that's of broadcast quality. You can have a remote direction. You'll have someone in your ear over a something called Source Connect, it's a piece of uh, connectability, or Zoom, a lot of directors will direct you over Zoom for the publishers. Um, so you have options, you can stay home, or if you want to go into their studio. If How much do those kinds of things cost? Like what's the price the main, the main formula for cost is uh, the industry standard for length of book. It will depend on two things, the length of your book and the price of the narrator. If you're narrating your own book, yep, you've eliminated that. So the uh, industry standard is each finished hour of audio is approximately 9,300 words. So your formula would be take the total number of your book words, divide it by 9,300, and then you have a, a rough estimate of the hours, the finished hour of your audio. Now that anecdotally, a lot of my peers have said, oh, I talk more slowly than that generally. Depends on the tone, depends on the genre, the, what you're trying to evoke. But generally speaking, it's somewhere between 9,000 and 9,300. So that can give you a basic idea of so, the length. So that's dollars or words? That, those are, that's words, that's num- words per hour that a narrator can speak okay. in physics. And then the next piece of the formula is to multiply that number of hours by the per finished hour rate. And just so you don't have to worry about writing this all down, it's in the doc, it'll be in the document that you can link to. And that's what you negotiate with the production Yes, although um, the general SAG rate is $250, although that can vary a little bit depending on the contract. It's per hour? For, per finished hour. Well, it's one per finished hour. If you were an if you were an amateur narrator, to get to one per finished hour might take you eight hours of work. Yeah, right. Absolutely right. So, so one of the things that's interesting if you're at ACX, if you're at Find Away Voices, both both of those are places that will let you produce your own audiobook essentially. You'll see that term P. FH per finished hour. And that is the basis upon which you are hiring people. That's just for hiring the narrator. If you're going through ACX or if you're going through find a way to find them, but it is all included for something like Matt was talking about, which is that, that hybrid, right? Um, uh, the not hybrid, the, um, the, uh, royalty, the royalty deal. So if what it is is you put in as much time as you need to, let's say it takes you 200 hours to record the thing as a narrator, you, the author, will never know it took me 200 or 400 or 600. Whatever it takes me, all I get at the end of the process is whatever 
got finished whenever you like it. And it's at the quality that you say, okay, great. I think we're done. So when you go through ACX, when you go through find a way, you are buying essentially somebody who's producing and narrating the whole thing. For all you know, they're sending it out to their cousin, Fred, for all the audio editing. You don't really know how any of that's happening. Um, as a, as an author approaching those narrators. But what you'll see when you make those decisions is per finished hour. And that's how you're paying them. Yeah, I'd like to just jump in real quick. Um, you, I was taught this years ago and I got lazy. But your last edit should be reading out loud. And now what I'm doing with my newer books is I'm reading them out loud into the audiobook. And then when I see a typo or a glitch, I stop it and I go into Word and I fix it. Right? But that's the way you should do it. And um, I want to sort of segue into um, some tips from Claudius. I've already gotten some amazing information from you about some techniques for recording. Like, like the, the one about the pillow on the stomach, right? And, <laughs> that's a good one. Um, that's the, the stomach rumble technique. And um, that's when about 11.30 <laughs> you're you start, the mic starts picking up more stomach than talking. And uh, we take a very densely packed pillow and stuff it against our stomach, and it actually uh, blocks the sound. It, it, you, of course, the longer fix is to go have lunch. But <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of my choice. But in a pinch, it can work because these mics are high fidelity and they pick up everything. And so they don't lie. So you don't want to, he- sometimes you won't catch that while you're narrating, but then late on a playback, you'll ruin that perfect take with a long stomach rumble. So things like that just to have as quick fixes. And when you come back to that question that Rachel was asking earlier about the headphones, the reason why, uh, the reason I was trained that the narrators use headphones at least on one ear all the time is so that you can hear what the microphone is hearing. It's different than the sound of your own voice in the booth with you. And so it is a really important thing to do a lot of practicing and to always have a sense, what is the mic hearing? What is the mic picking up? You might hear that grumble in a different way. So yeah, back to answering Rachel's earlier question, that is why headphones are kind of a must, just because the mic and your ears are different. And the interesting thing about that is that um, that's changing over the years. It's now become very... Uh, de rigueur to remove your headphones, mm. do your take, mm. and then re-listen. It's because you'll get a more, the belief is, a more naturalistic read. You're not self-editing and, mm. and falling in love with your own voice while you're talking, <laughs> which I would never do, but, you know, those other narrators. <laughs> so that can happen. Yeah, and then along the lines of Claudia's great stomach rumble stifling technique, um, on in my situation, um, my microphone often picks up mouse clicks. I'm stopping between segments. So I've got this great furry vest. And I wrap it all around my computer stand and I put it all around my hand and I got the, the mouse under it and, it and it kills the clicks. Of course, when I'm done, my hand is like soaked with sweat, but uh, it does the job. So there are lots of things you can do like that. Yeah. And, and along with the other equipment you're asking about, um, a pop screen or pop filter is generally used to to soften those plosives, the P's, and the hard consonants. 
There are also software plugins you can use after the fact um, to clean up some of that. But of course, if you can avoid avoidance rather than treatment, it's better to try to avoid them in the beginning. So I use a pop screen. So on that same note, Claudia, can you give us sort of the basics of what you would need to know and do to just get a good, clean vocal recording that doesn't have all kinds of crazy whatever's going on in the whole world onto it? Sure. Um, narrating is an uh, surprisingly athletic endeavor, actually. It's, you know, this is our instrument, and we're using all of it. So it, the narrating starts at least 24 hours before you go into the booth. Hydrate, hydrate, hydrate. That's your mantra. Um, basically, room temperature, plain water, maybe some lemon, but that's it. Um, you don't need the extras. Actually, throat coat tea has been a favorite, but it anesthetizes the cords. So be careful in d- drinking much of it before you narrate. Afterwards is great. But beforehand, you, want to, you don't want to have too much of that. Um, so stay away from any kind of smoky environment. Any loud talking concerts, extreme example, but any kind of loud talking, your best thing, the best thing you can do the night before you record is go on complete vocal rest so that you're as, you're as fresh as you can be. Um, you avoid dairy. Dairy is a big culprit. Um, anything sinus-related, as we all probably know. Um, caffeine, uh, anything that dries the cords. Then when you go into the booth, you'll, before you go in, you'll want to do your vocal exercises. And on the handout, I've included a link to one of my favorites. It's a five-minute down-and-dirty vocal, a little bit of physical warm-up. Sometimes I do it two times in a row. But it's, it's, it's like brushing your teeth. For, for narrators, you want to incorporate that into your daily routine to to get yourself warm as you would before any athletic endeavor. Um, and then once you get into the booth, you want to make sure you're wearing cotton, something soft, nothing crisp, no jeans. This jacket wouldn't work. Um, no jean material, nothing that that can crackle in the mic. And that's uh, anything. I've had I've had to take my blouse off at a couple. Of Sessions when we went into, they had a T-shirt for me. But you know, sometimes talent has to do that when they've gone. When we went into the studio more often, so uh, those are things you wouldn't necessarily think about initially. Same with um, shoes. Shoes can be sticky, <coughs> rubber-soled shoes, depending against your the metal foot of your chair, things like that. And of course, a squeaky chair. So you want to have some DW40 on hand. WD40, yeah. WD40. One of um. One of the things that I love, there's a couple of people who actually have apps. I don't know if, um, there's a couple of voice warming up apps that are great resources from, you know, other narrators and people in the business. And one of the tricks that I love is that I always use the same few warm ups, but the last warm up that I do, which I do use this app to go through, it's got, you know, all of your, your different kinds of enunciation and, and all that sort of thing. I actually do that last warm up in the booth, into my mic, with all of my equipment, just the same way I would if I was getting ready to start, and I use that to check my levels. Because if anything came unplugged, or if you took your computer out to somewhere else, or if anything has happened, things happen, 
and you go into your booth that next day and you start narrating and you narrate for an hour or two hours or four hours and get to the end of the day and you're like, oh my gosh, it was picking up the microphone on my laptop on the other side of the room, you're going to be really, really sad. Oh, yeah. And because I use the same warm-up and because I use that same application, I know exactly what the levels should look like on my screen as I'm doing the recording. I'm my own producer. I'm narrating and producing. So I'm watching all of that while I'm narrating. And that's just a little trick that I absolutely love. For the end of the warm-up, you warm up yourself, and then you double-check all of the equipment while you're doing the warm-up. It's also great because I have a folder. So if I wanted to listen back to what that warm-up sounded like a year ago or a month ago versus what it sounds like now, I could. I've never actually done that, but I haven't ever thrown any of them away either because, you know, whatever. So anyway, so that's a tip for all of you guys that I do as a part of this same process. Yeah, a couple other things to add, and you may be able to address this a little bit too, but when I did the first audio book with the radio station studio and my producer director was beating the hell out of me, one of the things I learned, uh, we were lucky we got it mastered in three different recording studios in Hollywood, his brothers got it. But when I, my voice was giving out, um, I believe it was Granny Smith apples he was giving me, they were tart. Yes, the green apples. Yeah, and a few, and a few bites, bang, was in there. The other thing I want to mention a little bit is um, I'm a vocalist and I'm a drummer and other things, but um, I've been a vocalist for years. I got singing lessons for years, and that really helps. And so I, I had, this is a minor side story, but I had friends who were begging me to sing karaoke, and I hate karaoke. The band usually sucks. Uh, the temple's <laughs> off. I mean, it's, uh, but they were begging me and begging me. And I finally said to myself, oh, okay, you know what? That's just a rehearsal. So now I can sing all of this weird stuff, and I'm expanding my range and going through and playing with the high end and the low end, and it really helps when you're narrating to enunciate. So I thought I would share that. If your friends are asking you to sing karaoke, be a nice person and go to rehearsal. Okay, I, I'm going back to podcasts. Okay, I did do my first book in a recording studio. I spent a year and I listened word by word by word. And for me, I just want to tell you, it was the most fulfilling, emotional uh, accomplishment that I ever did. And it was about um, the sun would shine again. Hang on, hang on. Everybody needs to hear this. Start again. Start again. Okay. 19 years ago, my husband died. And um, I, six months after that, I um, decided that I wanted to write a book. I wrote a book called The Sun Will Shine Again, Life Lessons from a Year of Grieving. I was picked up by hospice, and um, I went speaking for a couple years. And when it was over, I said, I want my children to inherit my voice. So I actually was in a recording studio for one year, and I had four other people join me during a section. So uh, my husband's voice was his best friend. Uh, the rabbi had interviewed me, and that's how the book came about. Leslie Dinenberg knows all about it. And the rabbi spoke, my daughter spoke, and... 
It was the most emotionally fulfilling thing I ever did because, as you said, it's a forever. And I have it forever. And I have the hard book. But all my grandchildren will have the audio book. And that was the gift that I wanted to give. Okay, fast forward. Now it's 19 years after he died. And a few things have happened to me, but wisdom has come with those years. And I had decided that I had another book in me. I didn't know what it was, and that's a story unto itself, but it is a book on resilience. I have interviewed 12 people, and I have one more to do for the 13th, and the book will be you know, the power, your cape, whatever you were talking about, what is your superpower? That's how it started off. So my question is, I am a speaker who writes. I'm not a writer who speaks. So I think it's important to know who you are. And so to ask the question for you, I will have this book done and the interview's done in six more months. And if you're a Santa Barbara person, you will know most of the people who are, are in this book. But I want it to be a podcast. So do the people that are going to tune into the podcast need to have read the book? That, that to me is what, it's on resilience. The book is resilience. So it seems to me each person has a story to share, not a book. I, I would say that the podcast is your inducement for them to read the book. Think of it like a movie trailer. Uh, if, and if you, it's always worthwhile to study movie trailers to see which scenes and segments, and even sometimes TV shows, what they choose to show you, to give you a sense of the story without giving it all away, but to get you to evolve. So if you're doing a podcast, and even if you're doing readings from your book, and you're really kicking ass with it, they're going to want to read your book. And, and so I would I would say that that would really really be the way to go, to think of it as a commercial slash soundbite slash movie trailer. Well, and especially if you identify primarily as a speaker who writes, I mean, go with your first love. That's where you're going to shine brightest. That's my instinctive answer to you. And these people who who open themselves out, as I said before, brave people who told their story, you know, that's in the book and that's real with their photographs, their bios, their everything. So I, I didn't, it's not their story, it's the person that calls in. How do you see yourself? And then you're right, Matt. Then mm -hmm. I can say... This person, you can relate to this person in the book. You're right. That's how it goes. Thank you. You're welcome. You do? Okay. I, I will. Thank you very much. Um, I'll give it a stab. It's a good question. You know, I was thinking, I've been in that situation too, where I sometimes, in my case, get overwhelmed and confused about what my focus really is. And in a way, you've opened up Pandora's box. You have a wealth of riches in this theme. Because number one, if you take it to a meta level, this is a really important issue for all of us to think about. So if you think about yourself as somebody 
now using mixing my metaphors, the Pied Piper, um, you know, or Johnny Appleseed. But anyway, you are spreading um, this concept that we live in a time that's very complicated and there are personal challenges we face as well. And those stories are engrossing and compelling. So if your goal is to, to give people an opportunity to tell their stories, you can do it in through many media. And so you're a multimedia person. You defined yourself the way I would, a speaker who writes. Um, and I can get lost in a little bit of confusion around that. So if you take it to another level and just feel so good about what you're doing in general that you're using media to get people to think about this and be inspired by those who have turned a corner, then you're doing something really good. So congratulations. I'm going to hand the mic back because I know they have a lot more to say. Thank you, Lois. Good job. All right, Claudia, what's next on that list? Next, we have... Um, how to find narrators. So you've, uh, Matt's talked about ACX. Um, I don't know if, how many of you are familiar with ACX. That's, that's one way to go. It stands for Audiobook Creation Exchange, ACX.com. And as Matt pointed out, they are owned, they're a, they are a piece of Audible. Mm-hmm. So Amazon and Audible, um, bottom. Bottom and, and <laughs> that, that they are totally connected. So that puts a little bit of an interesting spin. We can talk about that later, but. Right. Um, and then I'll go back to what I mentioned earlier about the all-in-one production house. Um, if you decided to go with one or consult with one to see what your particular book would cost, first off, right? Let's see if it's possible to do, uh, given the length of the book and what you're looking for in a narrator, um, they will cast your book. In other words, they will uh, throw the net out to the narrators whose work they know intimately in your genre. So to narrow it down, sir, as you asked earlier, what it's something that's very specific to your genre so you don't waste a lot of time with things. So on both ends, so people don't waste time and energy on something that is never going to work together. Right, so they will help hone, hone your choices. They'll send you um, maybe five. They'll narrow it down so it's not overwhelming. The number, if you choose to have ten, then you can ask for ten actors to choose from. But they will, they will narrow it down to the best and the brightest. And then you'll get to choose from those. And of course, the final say is author. Author approval is, is the way it is going and should be, in my opinion, now. It didn't used to be used to be that the publishers would cast and you'd just accept what they took. But it's a new day. And author <laughs> approval is always best because it's your story. So so I, that is one advantage to at least exploring a production house that do, goes from beginning to end, including marketing, promotion, and distribution. So, Claudia, do you have any... Oh, sorry. Do you have any... Um, Profiles up on any of those places? What do you do on the back end if you are a narrator? What information goes into the profiles that uh, either a production house or an ACX or a Findaway Voices are pulling from? Can you speak to that a little bit? Well, they, all the profiles use um, search engines, of course, for keywords. So the key is to be as specific as you can be with what you want, a certain dialect, a certain area of, of the country that you're looking for, um, Age, of course, gender, 
um, or gender identifying, anything that you can that will narrow down and make it easier for the casting people actually, you know, to help them serve you in the best way and serve your story. Even things that you might seem like non sequiturs and, and maybe that you may think are irrelevant. He has a limp. Other people say he's cantankerous. You know, things like, uh, those are important pieces of information for those casting people to, to know that who to, who to send to you. Um, but as, when you're listing yourself on rosters, you want to include that from a performer's aspect so that you're findable, you know, in as many ways as possible. What are your personal voice descriptors? Oh, gosh. Um, my heart is in thrillers and mystery, and I always end up living there. So um, I end up being a lot of, a lot of um, command, ship commanders. I've done a lot of Star Trek ship commanders in the video games. Um, uh, there's a lot of them. <laughs> They're never-ending. So one of the things that you'll notice if you do go to some of these places and start to look at narrators is that they will have certain voice descriptors. My voice is low. My voice is high. My voice is, um, uh, you know, the different, like, resonance or whatever. But then also there will be emotional descriptors sometimes. Mm -hmm. So clever or smart or saucy or spicy. And so for those of you who may be looking to go through one of these other things and, like, choose your own narrators or... Like um, Matt was saying, invite a narrator to audition for your book. Those profiles have what those people believe they have developed as their specialties. People who speak Spanish, people who speak Italian, people who can do a perfect Kentucky accent if it's from a particular... Connor, those are the kinds of things that you would really be wanting to pay attention to if you were going to cast yourself. The benefit, again, of this production company is... They're going to go through their, do we still call them stables? Roster. They're going to go through roster, not stables, stables. I was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's not right. They're going to go through their roster, and they're going to, you know, do a little search for who has this and this and this and that and the other thing. You'll be doing that yourself if you go ACX or find a way. Um, some of the other, and I'll get right to you, um, some of the other choices you want to consider are whether you want to do a duet or a duel, like say in romance, or where there are two main protagonists in particular and there's a strong relationship, um, whether they, whether you want to do a multicast. Multicasts have really gained in, in popularity uh, in recent years, um, so much so that some of the publishers are kind of pulling back from them because they miss that old experience. If a new voice comes in, sometimes it takes people out of the story as a listener but other people love it. And certain genres lend themselves more to multicasts. Fantasy, um, big sci-fi casts where there are a lot of characters that tend to be larger voice ranges um, kind of tend to benefit from a multicast. So so that's another consideration. Oh, and does gentleman here have a question? Would one or more of you please speak to the question of uh, sound effects in appropriate text? What language? For example, what percentage of audiobooks probably have something besides just voice? And is it is it economically recommended? You know, is it greatly more expensive or time consuming or hassling when you when it hangs up, Matt? <laughs> you know, when the program hangs up. Yeah. How about sound effects? Because if, if I go into this 
there are going to be sound effects. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, Claudia can really address this, but one thing I do want to say is um, when you introduce something like that, you're introducing a whole other level of, uh, for lack of a better word, sophistication that you have to deal with. So there's cutting and editing and, and doing things like that. One of the things I have a lot of fun with is when you're doing an audible audio book, you have to use some kind of a sound for the transition to mark the beginning and the end of a chapter. I found a bunch of free ones, and I got some really freaky ones for some of my darker stuff. Um, I got one on hummingbirds, and, and the, the transition is hummingbirds flooding around and doing their little... You know, and so you get that between every chapter, and I've had a lot of fun with that. But the more you introduce more complexity, the more you have opportunities to mess up or have to deal with the headache of it. And I, and I don't believe it's really commonly used a lot. Claudia's going to tell us here in just a second. As opposed to what she does, she does video games and all that stuff. That's a whole other animal. Right. Uh, but in terms of straight audiobooks, it's mostly audiobooks. If, if the majority, uh, you may have more experience with that in terms of the audiobooks. Um, I was literally just on a clubhouse room about this with, with a few publishers who were voicing their opinions on it. Um, there are publishers like Graphic Audio who do um, a lot of graphic drama and, and they tend to be um, almost exclusively use uh, sound effects because it's part of the world building. Um, but the bottom line is, as simplistic as it is, it's, mo- it's about money. It's about expense. If you add that layer, as Matt said, you're adding you know, good, a goodly amount of expense. If that's not a a factor, then that's great. But just know that that's also that's going to probably slow production because you've got a lot more irons in the fire and people in the, to coordinate. Um, I mean, it can add a lot. There are varying schools of thought flying around right now about that. That it kind of can distract from the story or um, set up expectations that are impossible to maintain throughout an entire book. Those are those are you know, schools of thought. But the, those would be my comments. And Dusk, if you're interested, and this is a this is a tip for everybody who's here, listen to more audiobooks and recognize what you like about certain ones and what you don't. So Dusk, if you're particularly interested in hearing a full audiobook that's got tons and tons of music and sounds and effects and all that, what you're looking for when you buy one to listen to or pick one to listen to the samples, because, you know, they got the three to five minute sample at the beginning of them is something that is a full production. So it's not just an audiobook. Are there other, what else do they call that, Claudia? There's audio drama. Audio drama, full production or fully produced, which means that basically they've done everything that they would do for like television, except you get no picture. So like the BBC does a lot of them. I've been listening to the Douglas Adams's full dramatization or full production, full audio production of Shada. And yeah, the only thing it doesn't have is people running around on a little screen. So listen to some of those and see if it sounds like something you could do as, I know you're a, a performer and that, you know, you're a musician, so. You know, and also along those lines, it's sort of a, uh, being inherited from the old time radio shows. Yeah. Who knows what lurks in the hearts of men, right? And, and they do, and they would have whole, like, you know, five people in the cast up there and they're, they're really doing their thing. So those are also worth listening to because that's kind of where that whole thing began. I will say some of that stuff is fun, but you have to use it very carefully. There was one of the cozy mysteries that I was doing. 
there, there are only two, te- two sound effecty things I've ever done. One was where everybody, you know, goes, <gasps> or everybody talks at the same time. I will sometimes do multiple <gasps> whatevers and, and layer them so that it sounds like a group at that moment, which you're never supposed to do, but it's so much fun. <laughs> and then the other one is ghosts. I was in one where the, somebody is possessed and then they start talking as the ghost. And I actually did a bunch of research to figure out how they make that ghost voice at the Haunted Mansion down in Disneyland, which you can find all this information online. But it probably added an hour of production time for 30 seconds of the audiobook, maybe not 30 seconds, maybe a couple minutes, to have this amazing experience of what happened when this woman was possessed and speaking as the ghosts. So when, when Claudia says money, that's assuming you're paying someone else. But if you're doing it yourself, remember, that is all your time. And there's lots of places you're going to spend the time. So, Claudia, do you want to talk a little bit more about if you are the author and you are reviewing, so you don't have maybe a production company, what does that look like? Um, you mean reviewing your work? Yeah, like QA. Okay. Um, well, it all depends on whether you're using any kind of a mouth declick plug-in. There's a, there are certain plugins you can add afterwards that have become sort of standard for a lot of narrators. Very Publishers and producers will want raw audio. They'll want raw wave files with no processing whatsoever. Um, but a lot of narrators will tend to do a really mild mouth declick because no one wants their mouth sounds going out into the universe. And, and then the editors will further clean things up. But if there is no editor, <laughs> and you're doing it all, um, then get it, investing in a good, solid plug-in system is worth its weight in gold. And Isotope 10 is my favorite. Uh, there are several. Wave. And Isotope 10, is that a software? Is that yes, a... it's I-Z-O-T-O-P-E. Isotope. Isotope. And, and it's for the D-mouth click plug-in alone, it's worth it. <laughs> because it will save you all that time of, of uh, selecting and removing or copying over those little mouth clicks and those odd little nasal congestion sounds and all the things that our body does, um, that all of our bodies do. So, and the mic does not miss any of them. So it, it will... And yes, it's on the it's on the list. Don't yeah. you don't have to get us to spell it again. It's well, going to be on the resources <laughs> list. I, I want to mention really quick. Claudia has a great handout. Um, I don't know if you made copies or not, but I, I moved it up on the screen, and all of her uh, professional contact information is there. Um, so you could take a picture of that if you want to find out more from her and all her wonderful techniques and things from there. I want to do that before I forgot to say it. Oh, thank you, Matt. Yeah, and I've got a, um, I've got some paper, and if you want to put your name and email on here, we will literally just send you the links afterwards so that you can have access to all of Matt and I's resources, all those technical links, and all of Claudia's resources as well. We just threw them up on Google Docs, mm-hmm. so we'll make sure that that's at the back of the room as you leave, so you can put your email on there, and, and we'll send you those links afterwards um, so that you have all of this information. I think one of the things I was thinking about as we were talking about cost and time is that if you hire your own narrator, you are 
the Q&A, the author. So you will get either a chapter or multiple chapters, and you'll need to listen back for things like Matt was talking about. Like, did the guy pronounce Ozarks? Ouija? What was... Oh, that, in my case, it was ayahuasca. Ayahuasca? Did Does my narrator pronounce ayahuasca wrong a hundred times? And when I work with independent authors, this is a thing that I absolutely always emphasize to them, is that anytime they have something that goes through the whole book, make sure it's right in the first four chapters. Because if you get chapters from your narrator who's working, who's your narrator producer, I'm going to put those two things together because that's how you would hire your own, a narrator producer. They send you chapter one and you're like, oh yeah, I'll get to that this weekend. They send you chapter two, chapter three. Oh, I don't have time to sit down and listen to that now for whatever reason. If you're at chapter five or 10 or 12 and they've been pronouncing a word wrong since chapter one and you have not bothered to listen and check it, boy, that is a lot of time and energy and disrespect of their work. So if you're not paying the big bucks to have a house and a director and an audio engineer, you are still on the hook for the time and the energy to partner with your narrator to make that production as good as it can possibly be. And I want to encourage every author to be an active, as active as you can be, participant in that product in that process because the product will be much better um so that's one of the big messages it does take time you got to put those earphones in while you're washing dishes or mowing the lawn or whatever and you've got to listen to this stuff to make sure it's meeting your requirements you are the customer you're the client so you're committing time even if you're not committing money yeah i want to and you, you you'll back me up on this if you happen to be narrating nonfiction that's highly technical, you really got to get those pronunciations right. And you get words like psychoneuropharmacology and, and you know things like that. You have to get it right because professionals, anybody's going to read it. And the moment it gets mispronounced, suddenly you're going to have a credibility issue with your audience. So it's really important, especially with the technical stuff. Yeah, a um, couple of things you guys brought up. One, prepping, prepping your book, nonfiction especially. That prepping can take a lot longer than the actual recording, actually. You can fit in those, those seven of those, or six of those eight hours that uh, Yvette mentioned earlier to each per finished hour could be prep. And that means, um, looking up on things like, like Forvo, Uglish, pronunciation of proper names, places, and also, I just wanted to mention, um, if you are creating places and times and character names that don't exist in our on, in our dimension, make sure you say them out loud and make a decision about how to uh, pronounce those things. Especially, of course, if you're handing it over to a narrator. But even for yourself, because if, if you come across each troglodyte or you know this new new being within your story and you haven't decided on that on the pronunciation of their it's going to stop your flow you'll you know you'll lose a lot of time and momentum in the booth so that's another thing if you're creating a fantasy world say those things out loud and commit to those pronunciations Um, the last thing i just wanted to mention was about acx and uh that's uh officially after you, after that narrator has submitted the first 15 minutes to you, that second, first you have the 
three-minute audition. Then they get to the next level, 15 minutes. That's called the first 15. And once they've submitted it to you and you have no notes or you give them minimal notes, that's their officially, you can't, you can't have any more input. They get to roll with it. So if you want, if you have specific characters that have a, a stronger dialect or somewhat specific area of the book, be sure to designate that to that narrator before the first 15. You want to hear those characters even if they don't show up till chapter 10 because those are going to be more challenging and you want, and maybe they're pivotal people and you want to make sure they can handle that. So that was my other Yeah, I also want to say one, uh, pick up on one of the things that Claudia said, which is really important, is re- pronouncing it over and over again. Because not only are you going to pronounce it to say it correctly, but it's going to occur within the context of a sentence. So it may end with an up note or a down note. Sometimes I've said things like six or seven times, and I'm like, oh, that's it. you know. And then you got it. So you want to really make sure it's solid before you speak it. Or you'll have a character who has a some kind of an accent saying the name, and it's a little different than maybe that person saying the name themselves, yeah. or another character in the book saying the same name out loud. Yeah. There are a couple questions over there. I'm going to go stripe your shirt gal first because she hasn't asked one yet. sure, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but you want to make sure the book's on Amazon. Okay. Otherwise, you won't be able to find it on ACX. Okay. And so one of the things I do, I, I like I had to kill myself in a lot of different ways. In my new book that just came out, I released it simultaneously as an audio book, an e-book, and a tree book. Right? So the first thing I did, even though it wasn't a finished draft, because it wasn't published yet, but I put it in to K- uh, KDP, put it up as, an, uh, as a Kindle e-book, even though it wasn't ready to be released, but it was there. Then when I went into ACX, it says, well, uh, here, uh, is your book one of these? Or you do a search, and then it showed up, then you can do it. So you got to make sure you have that. That's if you're doing it that way. The other way to do it is go to Find Away Voices. So if you have self-published and you have the ISBN and you have all the information that you need to prove that it is your work and you own it, um, Find Away will let you put a production up there 
with as long as you have all the things that are on the list. You need to have your ISBN numbers. You need to have your production company. You need to have um, a cover that is within the right, you know, uh, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, the right whatever. And then, um, and then they're going to check all of your audio files. So you can make anything you want to, but it looks just like publishing a book. Do you know what I mean? Like all of those technical details still have to be there. That's the way to do it without going through Amazon. Yeah, and, 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 and it, it reinforces the point that you got to have the book yeah. ready for ready for live prime time ISBN. Yeah, Amazon so will not let you put anything through ACX that is not currently in print or available somehow through them. So if you're with any other indie publisher that's not using Amazon as a distribution, you've got to go over to find a way. And by the way, when I do that with the uh, with the ACX thing, you know, when I just throw up uh, an ebook just to have it there, I do pre-order, and then I put the pre-order like six months out. So then it will show up in their listings when you go in to look for it. Okay. Yeah. Was there actual content in there, Matt? Was it actually the 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 written content, or was it just like two pages I, of a? No, no, yeah. I, th- I throw the whole thing up there. You did throw the whole thing yeah, up there. Okay. And then and then when you do pre-order. You can go all the way up to like two weeks before the release date, and you can keep changing it. Because I always find typos. Yeah. And I find the best typos when I'm narrating. Yeah. Right. And I'm talking even not just typos, spacing between kerning characters, you know, different things that happen, or you'll just freaking autocorrect. Well, don't get me on on that. But you know, things aren't the way they're supposed to be, and you catch them as you go, and you're refining it because you're endlessly, endlessly, endlessly proofing, and stuff always slips through, or word screws up the formatting, or yeah. You know, Things happen. Mary Robinette Kowal is a Hugo and Nebula award-winning science fiction and fantasy author, and she also was an audiobook narrator and a puppeteer, of all things. She always does her audiobook before her final proofs are due because she finds absolutely everything. So if you can, roll your audiobook into your final product, your, your, your final proofs process. Please, 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 please do. Because again, like Matt said, you're killing two birds with one stone. You've got your audiobook recorded. If if you can get your narrator to do it or if you are doing it yourself. Yeah, for the, fir- the, for the first time in 19 books, when I did it that way, for the first time ever, my proofer called me up and said, there are no mistakes. And it's following that strategy. Yeah, I don't know. You kidding me? I'm still in shock. I still don't believe it. He's probably making it up. But. And that was human. That wasn't even positron... <laughs> software suite, which is what a lot of people are using now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. By human hands. All right. Go for it. Um, getting a little bit back to the pronunciation, I have heard that um, if the book already exists, that there's a, a script translation or something for audiobook readers. Can you put pronunciation in there, or is that just completely wrong information that I got? That's what I thought Holly was asking about, actually, is some kind of a um, plug-in or a a tool that was going to help you basically turn names and stuff into um, phonetic, into the phonetic uh, pronunciation. Um, Positron, as I mentioned, does do that. That's a software suite. Um, And I do have to say, even though they're AI-generated, and that's such a, you know tough 
place to go these days for all of us. But uh, but they are extremely narrator friendly and very immersed in the audiobook industry. They're trying to do it the right, the responsible way, and not replace us. So um, there is a there's a feature that you can run it through, but just like any other feature, it. It has errors. You know, you do have to pass that human eye. You can tell when you get pickups back from a publisher if they've gone through Positron only, because there will be there will be mistakes that the human eye would pick up, or the human sensibility in the context of the sentence. So you'll get maybe eighty percent of the correct pronunciations, but then you'll have to look up the others. Yeah. And I'm assuming you've got like Forvo and how do you say and all that stuff on your resources list, right? Yeah. Um, Forvo Uglish is surprisingly helpful because it, it draws from also from public speaking and these kind of remote um, lectures and things, especially for nonfiction. And you're looking for uh, obscure uh, professor names or something that you wouldn't find elsewhere. So, um, <laughs> for, Forvo F O R V O. Dot com. It's really for right. VO is a good way to remember it. Mm-hmm. VO being voiceover. Mm-hmm. It's for VO so that you know how to pronounce it. So um, we're down, we're getting down to the last four or five minutes, and I'm thinking you guys could give a little summary of whatever you want to say, like here's my website, blah, 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 and like that, and summarizing wrap up. You want to go first? Do it. Gucci! We'll go from the top down. About that. Um, I just want to say, go forth and narrate. I mean, it's been so inspiring to be here this these past couple of days with you. I just next year I'm going to come to every day because I get to listen to such beautiful works, and I understand why you would want to tell your own stories. That's that you're inspired to do that. They're yours. They're your babies. So um, I would just encourage you to. Um, to explore further, look at the resources that we provide you. Um, please feel free, if you have any questions along the way, um, to contact me through my website, claudiadunn.com, easy to remember, and go to the contact sheet. Just put in a little, an email there. It's working. I tested it. <laughs> Sometimes those things go, go wrong. But, uh, but I'll be happy to answer specific questions because you don't know until you know, until you run up against it and there are all, you know, these odd little Things that happen that you you couldn't possibly have predicted. So uh, feel free to do that. I'm happy to help and um, support you in any way I can. Yeah. We are here at a writers conference, and everybody's been talking all week long about the best thing that you can do is talk to someone and meet someone. And for me, I want to remind you all that one of the best resources you can have for something you've never done before is a mentor is someone who's done it and can answer the questions. And this is basically Matt and me and Claudia, we are all signing up and saying, hey, we are here for you. We are resources. If you need a mentor, if you need tips, please reach out. And um, my stuff's really easy too, YvetteKeller.com. My contact sheet also works. I have gotten some stuff this week from excited people. but yeah, it's it's a project. I'm also on the author platform panel right after this, 
And what I can say is any of these things, whether you're writing your book, whether you're getting ready for a big public speaking gig, whether you're going to be on a podcast, whether you're going to start a podcast, whether you want to do an audiobook, at the end of the day, that is a project. It is your time. It is your money. It is your energy. And a lot of the things that you've ever done in your life before where you've done a big project, they apply. You can approach it in the same way. So um, ask for help when you need it. But yeah, do something that scares you, because that's always fun. <laughs> I go for that. Um, so in closing, I'd like to thank Lois for doing a great job of being the lead-off batter. Thank you for bringing your, your part to the whole. Thank you, Lois. And, and then as far as I'm concerned, um, you're working at your craft, and the more you do, the more you're out there, the better chance you have of being discovered, no matter, regardless of the format. <clears throat> Excuse me. So in my case, I was just saying my 19th book came out, and I have e-books and tree books and audio books. When I did my last Coast to Coast show, uh, last December, the last time I was on, uh, two days after the show, in that space of time, I sold 107 books. 67 of them were my latest book, and the rest of them were, were my backlist. So the more places you are, like I mentioned, the more podcasts you can be on as a guest. Every time you're on a new podcast, you have a whole new audience who may, who may not have heard from you. And of course, if they have heard of you, then they're going to call their buddy. You should hear this guy. Oh, well, I got a podcast. I want him online, right? Those, those kind of things. So, so keep working, keep producing, get it out there. And every chance that a uh, new thing that's out there, and, and I'm multiple genre, better chance you have of being discovered. So... Thank you, everyone, for coming. Thank you, Claudia.